0: Welcome to the Grumpy Economist podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and the Grumpy Economist is John Cochran, the Rosemary and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, and of course, the proprietor of the Grumpy Economist blog. And John, uh, amazingly, the young life of this podcast has been defined almost exclusively by COVID-19, certainly not what we expected. But back when we started this, which might as well have been 1982 for the way it feels now, you were optimistic, relatively optimistic, about the prospects for a a V-shaped recovery back at the very start of this. That is a a recovery in which there's a steep decline followed by a steep resurgence. Of late, you've been sounding a a more pessimistic note. Why is that? Why is that?
1: Yeah. So um, my original um, thought was that this this should be like a great big vacation. Uh, We all take a couple weeks off of work, uh, and then we all come roaring right back again. Um, Then uh, immediately my first set of worries on that was, wait a minute, what if um, a bunch of businesses go out of business, uh, people get fired, uh, they get kicked out of their houses, uh, now now you got a whole bunch of stuff that needs to rebuild. So I was thinking about um, keeping things going uh, during the period of, of lockdown and then get ready to go. I've gotten a little uh, less enthusiastic about that V-shape because I think it's going to last a good deal longer than we thought. Um, We're we're not going to get an all-clear virus done anytime soon. Uh, In addition, I think uh, a lot of the government policies are going to delay the recovery. That's the second issue. Um, But just right into it, uh, let's try to look, maybe our, our theme today should be let's try to look uh 2 to 6 months down the line and what does the economy look like uh you got to start with what does the health situation look like um we Americans love to wait for some grand tech to help us but um i'm worried about that uh i don't think the virus is g- the i'm sorry i don't think there's going to be a vaccine uh in in uh anytime soon you know in a year or two maybe uh even testing is going to be hard to roll out so the, the the idea that by the summer this is all over, <clears throat> I think, is not the case. I hope by the, uh, by the summer the health emergency is passed. Uh, the uh, hospitals aren't in huge trouble. But there will still be 90, 95% of the population who hasn't gotten the virus is not immune. Uh, there will still be lots of people with this virus wandering around. And so you're, it, it's sort of like a forest fire Um, where you've put out the actual fire, there's little embers here and there, and it's still really hot and dry. Um, So, you know, the summer and fall are going to have to be a pretty intense economic and public health uh, effort still going on, on not having this thing uh, pop back up again, which uh, I think leads to the economy still being
0: quite disturbed by the whole business. Yeah. How do we think through this As a logistical matter, especially sort of in the near term, because a lot of people have this, I think, implicit conception, maybe it's more a hope than a conception, right? That someday we just sort of turn the key and we leave our homes and we go back to something that pretty much looks like three days before this all started. And I know in your writing recently, you've been cautioning that it's a lot more complicated than that in terms of what the the day-to-day logistics are going to look like. So paint paint that picture for us.
1: Yeah, I'm, I think it's very naive, and we're hearing very too much of the choice being uh, locked down everything versus the economy being back on again like normal. Uh, that's not right. The lockdown itself, at the cost of repeating myself, was a, a sledgehammer approach. The, the right approach to a highly contagious virus like this, that you don't really have uh, vaccines for or treatments for, uh, is very intensive Um Testing, which doesn't have to be perfect RNA tests, you know, who's got a fever, who who looks like they've had a contact. Uh, isolation, contact tracing, uh, a very uh, local lockdowns, if you, if you see it happening in a block in a city, uh, you, you close that down. So the very intrusive kind of public health way of getting at this sort of thing, which is what uh, the countries that successfully tamped this down, uh, uh, Taiwan, uh, initially Singapore, South Korea did. Uh, that is, um, you know, the, the sort of the best we can hope for, <laughs> uh, and I think um, uh, very few people, as I read it in 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 the public sphere and our political leaders, are thinking about where do we want to be in three months. I think they're starting to think about it now, and I think it, it's not as realistic as, as it should be. So that is the, the it's not all things back to normal versus lockdown. Uh, where we get to, I hope, in three months is where we should have been in January, which is this regime of pretty intrusive public health, um, uh, along with, you know, your jobs, two two parts of it, uh, fairly intrusive public health, contact tracing, testing, isolation. Along with uh doing your activities as social distanced as possible, so uh no not uh jammed restaurants and bars not um sports games not uh um a lot of be very careful at work those things have to be put in place that's, that's what should have been in place in january that so it needs to be in place in in uh June or July that's an economy that's that's kind of moving slowly at best, and then the question is um how do we get there? And, and I don't think we're, we're close to ready to turning that regime on again, on, on at all.
0: If, if I can take you to the longer term for a moment. So there's a wide variety of opinions out there about how permanently transformative this will be. Historically, there is a tendency for major crises to lead to sometimes unexpected social changes. But there's a lot of disagreement about the scope of that right now. You seem to be increasingly of a mind that there are big and pervasive changes coming, even after this is, is mostly over? What, what sort of things do you anticipate shifting?
1: Well, let's, let's yes, yeah, so just to be clear about things, let's distinguish. Uh, so the, the next phase is this virus is still out there in the U.S. or around the world somewhere, uh, and we're in an economy that is trying to keep going despite the presence of a virus uh, despite the presence of um uninfected people who could become infected quickly at any time um, uh, you know eventually that ends uh either when the virus is completely burns itself out or when we get an effective vaccine that is distributed to every person on the planet uh, or when everyone gets it and you have so called herd immunity that that 's a long time from now. So I, I just before I'm going to answer your question soon, <laughs> but I, I wanted to, to emphasize right. uh, how long phase two is going to last. And I think how uh, how our public officials need to start thinking yesterday about uh, getting the phase two to work Um but before we go going to phase 3. Now, now we can have some fun. How does phase 3 look? <laughs> <laughs> so, our world is one uh where the coronavirus has been conquered. Um uh or at least it's down to there's a treatment. Uh there's some sort of vaccine. It's down to a seasonal flu level where we seem uh, willing to accept it it coming and being able to to be stopped. Um I think we have woken up, as, as we did in 2001, we woke up to the world of terrorism, and that changed things quite a bit. Um, I hope, actually, that we have woken up to the fact that we live in a uh, an economy that is breeding ground for this kind of thing. And there will be more of them coming. Uh, they will be worse. Um I I would hope we would start thinking more generally about the biological dangers that our society faces. Um, What about a pandemic that hits wheat and corn? (laughs) Uh, You know, we live on monocultures. What about, uh, you know, a a massive crop failure from from an animal pandemic? Things like this happen as well. Uh, What about one that isn't respiratory, but uh, there's lots of other vectors that are just waiting to evolve to take advantage? So I hope... Uh, in our public affairs, we are not just, we don't just have a big bureaucracy ready to refight the last war. We have a bureaucracy that is thinking and watching and and carefully ready to adapt to new pandemics as they come out. Uh, Along with, um, you know, as long as people are worried, uh, you know, boy, cruise ships look like a, <laughs> a hard thing to get going again. Now, mm. I, I put it in a blog post. There's a a race between biology and and forgetting. Uh, people do forget. You know, we forgot. Our ancestors lived through horribly worse things: uh, cholera, bubonic plague, even the the flu of 1918 and 1957, and we sort of forgot. So people, one view is people will forget and we'll go back to. Uh, happily jamming ourselves on airplanes and standing in line and and going to bars and restaurants. But I think uh, another view is for quite some time, certainly in the phase two, while this virus is bubbling around somewhere in the world and we're just somebody getting off a plane from Rio to reinfect a town, uh, are we any of us going back to... Restaurants where we all sit right next to each other to to conferences and that kind of thing. Plus, we've all learned um, we've paid the fixed cost to learn how to use Zoom and Skype. <laughs> so um, uh, there, you know, the world of online may be there. And and I think one of the biggest thoughts I had is, uh, so in the last ten to twenty years, this amazing thing happened that our our cities, which were when I was young, were were scenes of. Um, uh, sort of apocalyptic chaos. Our cities came back. The young millennials all like to live there and Zoom into cramped apartments and and work in tech companies. But, uh, you know, we may, uh, if you want something that's a little uh, less prone to pandemic than New York City, maybe we'll, uh, we'll have a less city-based uh, uh, economy. So, you know, there's sort of lots of obvious speculations we can all have. There's a big relative demand shift. You know, you could think of, uh, restaurants will be less, but maybe high end takeout will be more, uh, lots of things will just get more expensive. Um, you know, if airlines have to leave a middle seat open, well, that means airplane tickets are going to cost more than they used to, uh, public transit. Uh, you know, the, the notion that we all cram ourselves on the subway and touch the same things and sneeze on each other. Uh, I wonder how long that's going to last. Anyway, this is fun to speculate on and I, I welcome yours too. <laughs>
0: Uh let's talk about where we are with the, the labor markets right now. So we've seen these unemployment numbers that are, you know, frankly like nothing we've ever seen before, certainly not at this pace. In certain crucial areas of the economy of course there's also this countervailing need for for more workers and then we've got the federal government trying to step in to cushion the blow But there are also concerns about the incentives that are present there. So so walk us through where we're at right now.
1: Yeah. So cushion the blow is, is of course, uh, entirely reasonable, but should be while there's a blow and temporary and you got to watch these disincentives. Uh, Certainly, the programs could be could have been crafted with a little bit better attention to disincentives even now. Uh, you know, the stimulus checks are going to go to I think it's about 60 million people who are already on Social Security <laughs> and to government workers and and people on government pensions. Um, <clears throat> now, I'm sure they're grateful for the money, as we all are, but uh, they were not facing any loss of income because they're not, uh, you know, they're not baristas at Starbucks. Um, a lot of that's going on with the unemployment. The unemployment is is very generous. It's uh, in many cases more than 100 percent of wages. That's giving companies an incentive to fire people. Um, you know, you're, you're running a restaurant, <clears throat> and uh, what you can do is simply tell, get your employees together, and guys say, "Hey, guys, uh, you're all quote fired unquote. Go get yourself unemployment, and when it's time to come back, come on back." Now, I do think that's in some sense um, there's an incentive there to fire. In some sense, that's hopeful. Uh, <clears throat> it may mean normally when we see unemployment, that means people have permanently left their jobs. They have to go find new jobs. That means you have a long drawn out, unhappy recovery uh these This may be fake unemployment uh that these are people just um uh, furloughed from existing jobs. They're taking advantage of the government paying the salaries via unemployment insurance and ready to go back again at least when people are ready to go back to those businesses. so I think there's hope hope amid the disincentives. <laughs>
0: There is an impulse, understandable on many levels. At, uh, at a if I could like add, add a, there,
1: is, sure. there is the danger. So there's sort of phase two of how do you get the economy going and then phase three, you know, hopefully late fall. Um, you know, you're a restaurant, you're an Amazon, you're a, you're a grocery store, you want to hire people. Uh, and yet people are there getting more on unemployment than they could uh, from their work. They're more on unemployment from... Uh, from their old jobs, <clears throat> you know. Good luck getting people to come back to work when the federal government's paying them more than they than they get. Uh, you know, it's it's fun being a waiter, but not that much fun. Uh, so I do hope that these things uh, are time limited, uh, and 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 more so than they are now. So so that. Um, uh, or at least we get back to sort of the regular kind of incentives we've worked out for business cycles. Anyway,
0: go ahead. With right. Well, you, to this point of sort of slightly longer term considerations, you see a lot of politicians right now acting at least implicitly uh, with the, the idea in mind, you know what, we're, we're going to just write checks and we're, we're going to ask questions later. But you've been adamant from the start of this that the federal government d- doesn't have limitless resources to combat this. And, and, you know, we had plenty of issues with debt before this. And I think also of some of the state and local governments that were already over leveraged because of their pension obligations. So obviously an emergency like this, the relative importance of debt may be lower than it would otherwise be, but it's not unimportant. H- how much does that factor into the way we have to think about the response here?
1: Yeah. So I think um, the, the two things we should focus on is the, the immediate phase two of how do we get things reopened a little bit in the summer? Uh, and then the phase three of, of, uh, having spent like drunken sailors, what's going to happen. The, the, if this drags on longer than most people think, uh, I think the planning now is sort of a quick V-shaped two months and then we're back to where we were. And you can see, I'm starting to worry. It's not going to be like that. Um, if this goes on, uh, an economy largely shut down and the federal government trying to, uh, Print money. This is what they're doing. Print money to make everybody have the same income they always had, and nobody ever loses money in the stock market or bond market. Um, the amounts of debt we're going to rack up are just just un- unbelievable. I mean, we already have authority uh, in the four hundred and fifty dollars from the st- four hundred and fifty billion in the stimulus. There's authority there for the Fed to basically. Print up close to five trillion of new government debt and use it to lend to companies and, and bail out companies and so forth. Uh, we're talking, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a. No, we spent two trillion already. There's another trillion stimulus bill being talked about. I think Larry Kudlow said six trillion by the time we're we're, we're done here, uh, and we may not be done soon. So this is real money uh, that must be paid back by taxpayers eventually. Um, Italy is not having a big stimulus. Why not? Because they can't borrow this kind of money. Uh, they're sort of hoping the Germans will send it to them, but the Germans recognize that if we send it to you, we got to pay it back. Um, and and they're, my ultimate nightmare is that the US says, oh, we have an emergency. We need to borrow a couple trillion dollars. And the bond markets say, you look like Italy to us. It's not happening. Uh, so some sense of let's spend this stuff vaguely wisely, I think is important. Yeah, in the meantime, Uh, We are handing out the money without much, you know, oh, who can worry about moral hazard in a crisis? Well, um, you know, if we bail out a lot of companies, uh, isn't there a natural those companies need to be regulated so that they don't get bailed out again? Uh, the Federal Reserve is starting to lend money directly to industrial companies and and, and to cities. Um, I, I'm still waiting. You know, last time in 2008, the peasants with pitchforks were out there horrified at what was going on. No, nobody is horrified yet. But maybe we're also horrified by a virus. We haven't noticed uh, what's happening to, to death's yet. And, and I think these are issues that I want to turn to. Um, uh, I've, I've I've spent a lot of my time on the blog on the immediate. Question, which which I want to turn to today, on uh, how, how do we get the economy going again? But then the uh, the macroeconomic consequences of the big stimulus and the Federal Reserve programs, I think, is something we really need to start paying attention to before it uh, overwhelms us.
0: So the the final question that I'll put to you: there's So much of the the news here and the speculation is worrisome. Are are there any silver linings you see coming out of this? Are there areas where we might emerge from this? better or wiser?
1: Oh yeah, uh, so there's all sorts of, uh, of wisdom coming out. Uh, a lot of it will be too late. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the, the the situation right now where I see the crying need and where I, I do see the beginning of addressing that need. Uh, it's phase two, it's the summer. Uh, we need two things. We need a very intrusive um, regime of testing people if possible or figuring out who's sick or who might be sick contact tracing, uh putting out the embers. Uh y- you know, they, they do things in China like uh if, if you get tested, then they haul you off to a hotel and you spend two weeks in that hotel whether you like it or not. And no HIPAA, no privacy stuff. Uh you can go on an app and find out where are all the cases in your neighborhood and and avoid them. Um, so so we need testing and contact tracing and isolation. That's easy to say but um that's a whole bureaucracy that has not even begun to be invented let alone created it's it's a very intrusive thing to isolate people who are sick to really jump in and 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 get rid of hot spots um and and it's not something we have And we i mean in china at least they have the uh the great power of the Communist Party, who um, runs roughshod over everybody's privacy, civil liberties, and, and freedoms, that can be put to use. <laughs> uh, we don't have that for good reason. We're a free people, so we don't have the bureaucracy that can say, "You, uh, you, Scott, you're sick. You have to stay home." And here's a security guard who's going to be taking your temperature every time you try to go in and out of your apartment, or you know, you're we're, there's a uh, there's a, they have this. Um, this, uh, social credit score. You literally, there's an app that you can that somebody will send you a text message saying, when you crossed the street the other day, the guy going the other way had tested positive for a virus. Be careful. (laughs) Can you imagine that in the United States? But these are the, you know, your choice is a little bit of cost of civil liberties versus a tremendous economic, uh, depression. Anyway, we don't, if you're gonna do public health, we don't have that infrastructure for public health. And the other thing we need is going back to work safe. Now it's perfectly obvious when you think about it, wear some masks, put the, you know, keep the shifts together, don't have people talk to each other, but you've seen in the news, you know, not even Amazon is doing it. Uh go down to the grocery store. Have, are your people in your grocery store wearing masks yet? Has anybody bothered to put up a, a plexiglass barrier between you and the cashier? I mean the the essential services now are not doing the obvious things um how are we going to reopen an economy so that's where we need to be uh and and it's not something that you that economists can just say oh yeah test and trace you need to develop and and practice a pretty intrusive bureaucracy to get that going it's awful but your alternative is a great depression and it takes time to set that up Uh, Now, that's the bad news. Uh, I see us just showing up in July saying, oh, we need this stuff and being completely unprepared. Once again, the way we showed up now and said, oh, we need masks and we're completely unprepared. The good news is, and this is today's blog post, you know, you look at it and you see, oh, yeah, the administration says we need to set up a new uh, task force on the economics of reopening. Uh, Governors are setting up task force on the economics and public health of reopening. Uh so this this is this is a thought that people have realized. I don't think they realize quite how far behind the curve we are it is and how difficult it is. This isn't something you just from City Hall you can say, oh everybody stay home and self-isolate. And for a while that works until they get sick of it. But to do testing, contact tracing, uh locking down an apartment building where somebody turned out to have a positive test and making sure nobody goes in and out of that for two weeks. Uh, making sure that businesses that are open are actually following the protocols, that that takes um, rules, procedures, bureaucracy, all the stuff we hate here at Hoover, except we hate absolutely nobody working even even worse. Um, so I don't I don't think they quite have the alarm bells of what it is they've got to set up and how long and hard it's going to be to do
0: that. So there's good news and bad news. All right. You've been listening to the Grumpy Economist podcast with John Cochran. You can read the Grumpy Economist blog at johnhcochrane.blogspot.com, And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For John Cochrane, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, And to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.